continue, uh, you know, just um, your continue of, of the scriptures, just continue to amaze you as we look at some of these lessons in the Old Testament, uh, compare them into the New Testament, and again, just see that Jesus, uh, as we've talked about in the past, you know, he's woven throughout the Old Testament. Uh, have you ever heard of the immovable ladder? The immovable ladder. Uh, now, uh, I was doing some research on this the other day, but uh, this, is, this is a ladder that's not, you know, it's not because it's permanently uh, into the ground. Uh, it's not because it just weighs too much to carry, but it's an immovable ladder because the fact is, uh, if you were to touch this ladder, if you were to pick it up and move it, you might just start a riot. You might just start a war. Uh, legally, the, this wooden ladder uh, cannot be moved. This ladder rests on this ledge underneath uh, a window uh, in Jerusalem at, this, uh, at a church building there, uh, the, the, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And it is, it's believed, again, historically, uh, not that we know this for sure, but it's believed that you know, this is where Jesus' tomb would have been. This is where the, uh, the crucifixion would have taken place. And so uh, that, that building there holds a special meaning to a lot of people uh, in Jerusalem. And actually, this, this, this church building is uh, owned by six different denominations, right? Six different denominations have control over this church building here in Jerusalem. And, and the thing is, is you can't do anything in this church building without all six giving uh, a thumbs up. A matter of fact, there was a chair on top of the roof that a monk was sitting on back in 2002, and he just pushed it, you know, about a foot over into the shade. Well, uh, punches were thrown because of that because he didn't have the five other uh, denominations approval to do that. And so um, and so a brawl ensued because of that. Well, this ladder that I'm talking about that's on this ledge, again, it cannot be moved. It's been there for over 300 years. Nobody knows where it came from. Nobody knows who put it there. But now it's famously referred to as the immovable ladder. Well, this morning in this morning's lesson, as you see before me, we're going to talk about another immovable ladder in Scripture. Uh, you remember in the Gospel of God that, the, John that there were those seven I am statements? You know, where Jesus throughout that gospel, he says, I am the bread of life and I am the, I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheep. I, I am uh, the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. Remember, he gives those seven I am statements. And those were designed to impress upon the people you know, that the, there's more to Jesus than just being a man, right? That he was divine, that he was God, that, that he came from heaven and visited us in the form of man. Now, in English, when we read that in our translations, we don't really get the whole emphasis there because we're just simply reading the words I am. But to the Jew, hearing those words, that was emphatic. There would have been a connection there that Jesus was saying more simply than I, you know, I am Jesus. But he was saying, I am God. In the Greek, the, the term there, ego, a me, I love saying that. Uh, ego, a me, one of the very few things I remember from Greek class. But uh, Jesus there was saying, you know, I am. Uh, I, we sing a song, right? The great I am. I am the ever existent one, the timeless one, the divine one. I am God. We remember in John chapter 8 when, when Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am Right? And the Jews wanted to pick up stones and stone Jesus because they thought he was blaspheming. They were, because they understood that Jesus was saying, I am. I am God. I am the eternal, uh, timeless one. Well, do you recall in Scripture when Jesus said, I am the ladder? 
Well, hopefully not, because Jesus never says that uh, directly. But I'm convinced, uh, based on the passages in Genesis 28 that we'll read together, and then in John chapter 1, uh, Jesus' conversation with Nathaniel, that Jesus says, I am the latter. And so let's get acquainted with uh, both of these uh, chapters, uh, both of these uh, scriptures, and then we'll discuss a little, thing, uh, a little bit about that. So if you're in Genesis chapter 28... Uh, we're going to start in verse 10 here in a moment, but let's, let's remember just who Jacob was. Right? Jacob, of course, was one of the great patriarchs of the nation of, uh, of Israel. You remember a lot of times when God is introduced to people uh, that, that they'll say that he was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Right? Jacob's on that Mount Rushmore uh, of patriarchs in, in Bible history. Right? He's a very important person, but he also had a strange past, didn't he? Uh, sometimes it was filled with failure and flaws of his own. But he also was a man of, uh, of great spiritual leadership, a man of amazing faith. Jacob had that twin brother, Esau. Remember that? Uh, Esau, of course, is born first. And as Esau is being born, you know, he, Jacob has his hand on Esau's heel. And really, you know, that's what that name Jacob means. Uh, Jacob means supplanter uh, in the original language. Uh, he, he was trying to hold Esau back and wanted to supplant and be that first uh, child out of uh, his mother's womb. We see throughout the life of Jacob, you know, that he was sort of a schemer, right? He, he used deception a few times and, uh, he used his brain really for what he wanted. Remember, he, he, he takes, he, or he tricks the family into giving him the family birthright. Remember, Esau is hungry. He comes out of uh, out from hunting, comes in, he's starving, and Jacob says, I'll give you this bowl of soup if you give me your birthright. And so he deceives him in that way. And then later on, we remember he takes the family blessing too, doesn't he? Uh, Esau is going to get the family blessing, but he's out. Jacob dresses up as Esau. You know, he puts on some furry uh, uh, on his arms just to kind of, uh, because his father can't see well, and uh, he tricks his father into giving him the family blessing. Right? And so we see a couple of times in Scripture of Jacob uh, doing these deceptive things. And so J- if you remember that at that part in the book of Genesis, Jacob now has to flee. Right? He- he's got to get out of there because, number one, Esau wants to kill him. And number two, his parents are concerned that uh, you know, he needs to marry somebody uh, back from uh, his mother's family lineage. And so they send him to Haran. They say, go to the land of Haran, get out of here, uh, because Esau's mad at you. Let him cool down for a while. Uh, You go and find a wife in that land. And that's really where we're going to pick up here in Genesis 28. So let's look at Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. And again, um, we we had this read to us a little bit of this this morning. But again, starting in verse 10, it says, Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went towards Haran. Uh, He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of those stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he had a dream and behold, the ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There's that picture of a ladder. Uh, uh, most of the major translations use the word ladder. Now, some do uh, use a staircase or, or a, a, stair, a stairway, and maybe that's a better translation uh, to think of it as maybe a stairway to heaven. Right? But, but most of our translations say a ladder. And I think a lot of us remember this story as Jacob's ladder. Right? This is Jacob's ladder. And the idea here is this conveyance, right? this connection between heaven and earth appears. 
What a dream that Jacob had there that night. Uh, even with a stone for a pillow. You know, how uncomfortable that would have been. But he has this wonderful dream, a ladder anchored in earth, connected to heaven, and angels going up and down, up and down, ascending and descending. Look at verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I, am not, I will not leave you until I have done what I had promised you. Do you notice that there in verse 13, that the Lord stood above that, that, that ladder? Have you ever climbed a ladder that was shaky? That's a little scary, isn't it? You get up there three or four rungs and it's kind of shaking. You know, that, that's scary. And you want somebody down at the bottom of that base, you know, holding it tight, uh, keeping it in balance. God is standing above this ladder yeah, as if he's presiding over this ladder, holding it in place. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful image there. And Jacob, remember, he's on this journey. He's leaving the promised land. And the Lord reaffirms to him in this passage the promises that he gave his grandfather Abraham, that he gave his father Isaac. And now that he's reaffirming that promise to, to Jacob, that I will be with you wherever you go. Even though you're leaving the promised land, I am going to be with you during that trip and I am going to bring you back. In verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top, and he called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 11? When there was this tower being built by man, uh, we, we refer to it as the Tower of Babel. You remember this tower that man was trying to reach the heavens, but they couldn't do it, could they? Man could never touch, reach heaven on their own. With all their ingenuity, with all their genius, man could not touch it. But now we have this ladder, this ladder that reaches into the heavens because this was God's structure. This was God's ladder. Matter of fact, the psalmist in Psalm 127 verse 1 reminds us, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Remember, G Jacob is fleeing for his life, right? Circumstances that he probably uh, brought on his own, but he's all alone during this trip and God finds him and he stops him and he repeats those blessings to him. You know, think about the promised land for a moment before we move on. You know, what made the promised land the promised land? You know, it wasn't its geography, you know, we think of the promised land as this place that was flowing with milk and honey, right? Isn't that the imagery we get of the promised land? And we emphasize in scripture as we study about it, that it was an ideal place to live, right? It was a place that produced. Remember those cluster of grapes that the spies brought back that was just so impressive? We emphasize that, but that's not what made the promised land special. It was special because God was there. Jacob found that out. Now I know the Lord is in this place, he says. How awesome is this place? The house of God, the gate of heaven. 
You know, it's kind of like what the Apostle John tells us in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. Right? He tells us that, listen, heaven is special because God's there. You, you think of all those things he says in verse 4. You know, the, 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 um, the, the, he's going to wipe away every tear. There's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And those are great by, byproducts of heaven. But the reason why heaven is special is because that's where God's dwelling. That's where he is. That's where we want to go. And that's what Jacob came to realize here, that the promised land is the promised land because that's where God was. You know, he's again, he's starting to learn what his great or what his grandfather Abraham learned so many years ago, that there truly was a better country. Hebrews chapter 11. You know, again, they're looking at the the promised land as sort of on this map, the geographical uh, parts of it. You know, hey, the the grass is greener here. Uh, uh, You know, those valleys, those green, lush valleys. But again, that's not what made it special. What made it special was the fact that God dwelt there. And again, he prepared them for a city, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us. But it wasn't a city that God has prepared for his children in that land. But it was a city not made with hands. It's a city where we are in his presence. And so Jacob learns that lesson. He calls the place Bethel. Right? He marks it by pouring that oil on that stone he slept on, sets up this pillar, and that's the account of Jacob's ladder. We know about 20 years later, he's going to come back to the promised land. Uh, eventually, he's going to go back down to Egypt, die in Egypt, and then he'll, his body will be brought back to the promised land. But that's the account of Jacob's ladder. Now let's turn to John chapter 1. Now let's turn to John chapter 1. And let's make this connection here in the New Testament. Again, we really need to know what's going on here uh, back in Genesis 28 to understand what's taking place in John chapter 1. That, that helps us as we study this conversation between Jesus and Nathaniel. And so we're going to start here in verse 43 of John chapter 1. And, and it says here that the next day, Jesus, he proposed, purposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, you might be asking yourselves this morning, you know, who's this Nathanael guy? Well, well, we believe that Nathanael is Bartholomew. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's referred to as Bartholomew, the, the apostle, one of the 12 apostles. But John refers to him as Nathaniel. John's the only one that refers to him as Nathaniel. But Philip and Nathaniel, or Philip and Bartholomew, are always together. So that's why we believe that Nathaniel is Bartholomew. But anyways, he goes to Bartholomew, Nathaniel. We'll call him Nathaniel because uh, that's what John calls him. And we, he says, we have found the one who Moses wrote about. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 46. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now again, if we didn't study Genesis 28, we might not know really what's going on here when he, when he says that, right? The statement was meant to gather their attention. Here is an Israelite with whom there is no deceit. 
Well, they're all Jews. They're all Israelites. But in one in whom there is no deceit. Well, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about Jacob. He's going back to that imagery of Jacob. Again, Jacob means supplanter. The idea of grabbing by the heel, supplanting. Right? Here's the imagery. You're running neck and neck with somebody in a race. Right? To be the first at the end of the line, you're racing someone, and you trip and fall, and you know you're going to lose. And so what do you do? You reach out to your opponent, and you grab his ankle, and you trip him up. You get up, you supplant him, and you go and take what he was about to win. That's the idea here behind the name Jacob. You know, Esau even said back in Genesis 27, verse 36, he said, you know, his name Jacob is a, is a name that fits him really well because he supplanted me these two times. He's taken away the birthright and my blessing. Well, instead of one who has deceit like Jacob, Jesus here says to Nathaniel, here's one who is without deceit. And again, he's on purpose. He's bringing to mind the story of Jacob and all those who are listening to them. You know, they're starting to connect the jots. Right? These are stories the Jews have heard all their lives. They know what Jesus is talking about here. Look at verse 48. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Nathaniel is impressed, right? That, that Jesus uh, saw him at some point that day underneath the fig tree. That impressed him so much to the, the point that he believes you are G- the Messiah. You are Jesus of Nazareth, the, the Messiah. I do believe you are the son of God. But Jesus says, listen, that's nothing. That's nothing. You are going to see greater things than these. And then he goes on to explain. And so here's verse 51. Here's the verse that we've been waiting to read. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Well, reading Genesis chapter 28, we understand where that's coming from, aren't we? But now we see these angels ascending and descending, not on a a special ladder that that Jacob dreamed about. But Jesus says they're going to be ascending and descending on the Son of Man, coming and going to heaven by me. You know, again, Nathaniel recognized at this moment that Jesus is more than a man, that he is the Son of God, that he knows hearts, that he knows thoughts. Again, it's more than just, hey, I saw you under the tree. But he now he understands that you know, Jesus can peer into his soul, that he knows his heart. He knows his thoughts. And Jesus says, I am that connection between heaven and earth. I am the ladder. I am Jacob's ladder. Well, what do we understand from this? We've read Genesis 28. We've read John chapter one. What are some of the connections here that we, we can make here this morning? What does this all mean? By that stairway, by that ladder. Again, a picture, a promise to Jacob, but it becomes reality in Jesus Christ. God came down in the person of Jesus and dwelt on the earth. And again, Jesus is the ladder. 
John chapter 1, verse 14, you remember this verse? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus has come down from heaven. He has descended out of heaven. And now he is that link. He is the ladder. He is that connection for you and I to heaven. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, that he is our mediator between God and man. That's how we go to God in prayer, right? Through Jesus in his name. He is that mediator. Jesus is the ladder. Again, we remember in that account there that at Bethel, right? at Bethel, God promises to never leave or forsake Jacob. Right? That's what he told him. Well, doesn't that again sound familiar to us? Did Jesus ever say to his disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, that he would never leave nor forsake us? Again, the Hebrews writer in Hebrews 13, uh, verses 5 and 6, again, reiterates that for us here uh, this morning. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently can say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Right? You want to talk about an immovable ladder this morning? Well, that's Jesus. Jesus will never leave nor forsake you. We also, as we studied that account, you know, we didn't really talk too much about this. But, you know, Jacob, Jacob back in Genesis chapter 47, verse 9, he says, well, his life is, was a pilgrimage, he says. Now, Jacob lived to be 130 years. And he even says that that was a pretty short life compared to, you know, his his father and grandfather and his descendants before him. But you think of a 130 year life being a sojourner in this world. You know, we often sing that song, don't we? This world is not my home. How often do you think about that in your own lives? That we're just sojourners here. That we are foreigners, aliens, traveling from from place to place. Now, I know, uh, you know, we usually will buy a home and we'll stay there. Right. But you think of, again, a man like Jacob who would have you know, packed up his tent from one place to another, to another, to another, not having a land to call his own. But again, we, we see that reiterated for us in the New Testament. First Peter, chapter two, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Again, we are called to be sojourners. We are called to be pilgrims, aliens in this life. And again, do you start to see all of these connections between Jesus and Jacob's ladder? Jesus is the ladder through whom heaven came down to us and how we ascend to heaven. And just one more point this morning. If you're still in the book of John, turn with me to John chapter 3. And just, let's just reiterate this point one more time that Jesus is our hope. John chapter 3. You know, this is, of course, when Jesus and Nicodemus have that meeting at night, right? Jesus and Nicodemus comes to him at night and he wants to know some things, right? Teacher, you know, only somebody from God can do the things that you're doing. And and then he goes on and then Jesus says, truly, truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And of course, Nicodemus doesn't know what he's talking about. What do you mean? Do I need to be born out of my mother's womb again? And he says, no, in verse five, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But drop down to verse 13, because I don't know if Nicodemus is prepared for what Jesus is about to say. Again, the imagery that that we're going to get here in John chapter three, verse 13. 
Because Jesus says to him, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the son of man. I'm down here. I'm going back. And then I'm coming back for you. Jesus is that ladder. He is that connection. Proverbs verse thirty, or excuse me, Proverbs thirty verse four. Uh, this man by the name of Augury makes this interesting question in Proverbs thirty verse four. Uh, just l- l- listen to what he says here. And, and again, Proverbs thirty verse four. He says, "Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment?" Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. The man is pleading, uh, desperately pleading. Who has these answers that we need to know? Who's been to heaven? Who's ascended to heaven? Who's descended? Well, we have that answer today in the New Testament. It's Jesus, the Son of God. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and verse 11, we're told Jesus ascends into heaven. He he ascends into heaven. And then in verse 11, uh, you know, the the other apostles are looking around, gazing into the sky intently. And those angels show up and they, they, they say to them, the same way he ascended is the same way he will descend. Jesus is the latter. I know some of you, this might make sense. But, you know, we go to Lance the Leaders in Louisville, right? And, uh, you know, go to the Marriott Hotel there downtown and, you know, there's not an awful lot of things to do there if you're uh, a kid uh, that that you have, you know, time to to waste. And so I know at least for my kids and maybe yours as well is the way to have fun there is to get on that elevator, right? And go all the way to the top and all the way to the bottom, all the way to the top, all the way to the bottom. And then you go find those escalators and you go all the way to the bottom and come all the way to the top. And they just do it over and over and over again. That's the idea here, right? That Jesus is that ladder. Jesus is that connection between heaven and earth. Those angels ascending and descending, not on that ladder, but Jesus says, on me. We can ascend to heaven this morning because he first came down. He can lead us up because he was lifted on the cross. He shed his blood for us. And we can contact that blood in baptism and have our sins washed away. Then, when, uh, then we can come to the Father again by the way of the ladder, which is Jesus Christ. Hopefully this morning as we study Genesis 28, uh, the Jacob's ladder, that we have a better appreciation of just what that means for us in the New Testament. Again, all those implications that were there back in the book of Genesis, lying out under the stars uh, with that stone for a pillow, seeing the angels ascending and descending and hinting hinting that the ultimate ladder is coming to lead us to heaven. And that was made possible today through Jesus. Again, Jesus never says, I am the ladder specifically, but he does say again in John chapter 14, verse six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. Do you have access to that ladder? Again, Jesus says, I am the only way to that city that city made without hands, that city that that was made by God. I'm the only one that can reach it. Are you ready this morning to ascend that ladder, that immovable ladder? Again, he's already descended. 
He's come to earth in the form of Jesus, dying on the cross, lifted up on the cross, and then he ascended. Now, today, he's sitting at the right hand of God, but we're told that he's going to do that one more time, that he's going to come back. He's going to do it one last time, descend in the sky, and there the dead in Christ will rise first, according to 1 Thessalonians, and then all of us who are alive will be caught up there with him, and then he will ascend with his saints into heaven. And that's the question we ask us this morning. Now, now that we understand a little bit more about this ladder, are you ready? Are you prepared? Do you have access to that ladder? This morning, the Bible tells us to have access to that ladder, to have access to Jesus is that we need to be in him. And Romans chapter six, verses three and four tells us that to be in Jesus means we're baptized into his death, burial and resurrection. Have you done that this morning? Have you put your life, uh, uh, taken your life, your, your physical, uh, earthly, fleshly life and died to your sins and be baptized in the water, immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, where you be clothed in Christ to become a new creation, to be added to his church? Have you done that this morning or this morning? Maybe you're here and you need, well, you need the prayers. You need prayers from fellow brothers and sisters. You need encouragement. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe, maybe uh, you've lost track of that ladder. Uh, maybe that ladder isn't a, as important in your life as it should be. There's no better time than to come back to him than this morning. Again, to, uh, to establish that ladder in your life. To know that that is the connection between heaven and earth is Jesus Christ. And if we can help you this morning uh, with any needs this morning... Let us know as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.